0: Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.
1: Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners. This is Steve Eschbach. I am your host for another edition of Building Better Businesses. I'm also a business broker. I own a franchise called Transworld Business Advisors here in Naperville, Illinois, about 40 miles west of downtown Chicago. Transworld is the largest and fastest growing business brokerage in the world. We predominantly assist uh, small to medium-sized companies, confidentially sell their businesses, and match them with qualified buyers. So for this edition of Building Better Businesses, I'm delighted to have Raul Hernandez Ochoa, who is a business strategist, coach, and a consultant. And he has multiple areas of focus, if you will. I'm going to let him A, identify his business and B, identify his focus on how he helps his clients. So first of all, Raul, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, let's learn a little bit about you from where you are today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Where I'm at today in business is uh, helping entrepreneurs create certainty in their business so that they can continue to grow and also focus on other areas of their life that's important to them.
1: So how the heck do you get business owners create certainty? I've never been able to master that. Tell me how you do that.
2: I'm not sure if mastering is the uh, the right word, right? It's an art that we're always building upon, right? It's like building muscle, building knowledge. Uh, but it's something that's a it's a feeling that I can convey with business owners. Once they start to have like a, a grasp around everything happening under their business, the communications, the team, the structure, the growth, There creates a sense of certainty and confidence. And that boosts confidence in other areas of life so that they can focus with their families or you know, communities, or if they're just focusing on, you know, making a greater impact with their business. So it's been a fun ride, but we're still getting started.
1: (laughs) So I get a sense is that the certainty you focus in on is that with which you can control the extenuating circumstances, of course, are always changing. And we all are accustomed to that. But you try to develop and uh, help your clients get that certainty needed to put your arms around all that going on around us, right?
2: Correct, and I really like that you focused on the areas of control because that's the key focus that I break down with clients. Per se, um, like we use like a simple matrix or a simple sheet to identify what are the core metrics, the operating metrics. I call them the operating KPIs that we control within our business that influence either top line or bottom line revenue. But these are attributed to specific habits, not actions, because habits in every single business are done by the owner, someone else, or a machine. And then how can we create the better habits associated to that one KPI and create operational excellence to really fine tune on very specific aspects, not like a hundred things, maybe nine or 12 things within the business to move and move the needle and create additional momentum.
1: So we're taking a little different track there. We're going to focus a little bit more on the current. We're going to go back in time shortly. But while yeah. you're talking about all this, I know you've got a book, Productive Profits. I know you got a blog, Daily Sp- Spark. And then you've got a podcast yourself called Do Good Work. So tell me a little bit of how all those intertwine with your clients. And again, the ultimate objective, at least from what I'm hearing from you, is to help you develop the certainty to control the external factors that are changing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you asking about that. It's the first time someone's asked about the blog, but um, specifically for me, I started that for myself to get uh, my thinking into writing on a daily basis, or at least a Monday to Friday basis. And then from there, it's um, inspiring entrepreneurs to be able to look what they're already seeing in their business from a different light. You know, we live in um, with the TV, the radio, the news, and all that stuff going on. Like we need to be focusing on the good within our business and the things that we can control. So my hope with the Daily Spark is to just ignite a small little spark, less than a minute a day for entrepreneurs and business owners. And that attributes to the work that we're doing, the greater work that we're doing uh, with you know business owners on a hands, hands-on basis. The Do Good Work podcast also supports that because we talk about very specific tactics or strategies from people who've actually walked the walk, bringing them in, sharing their experience and tactical action items that can support business owners, or even if you're working in your career, how you can become better every single day. Um, And the book, Productive Profits, is pretty much the capstone. And we're actually celebrating one year anniversary of the publication of the book. So it's pretty exciting to see that. But um, the book is essentially the framework that I work with clients hands-on. There's nothing like nothing left out of it. It's a strict framework where we talk about creating clarity in regards to your vision and the mission of the business, creating the evergreen flows that's create the structure the growth, and then synchronizing that within your day-to-day activities. Um, so the book is pretty much like a handbook for business owners to walk through and implement step by step. So
1: we went through a, a tumultuous last year with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But does your book have the basic tenets that would be applicable regardless of the extremes that we had in the past year? So are there basic things you're going to do no matter what the environment is, or has that changed as a result of the pandemic?
2: That's a great question. I focus on principles, so principles that never change. From those principles, we can stem different strategies and tactics. So I focus on the core essentials. And thankfully, with the framework, the, it's built to be dynamic. I've been able to apply principles from that book from just the solopreneurs here in town in San Diego to companies with over 100 team members. So it's flexible and it's growth, but the principles still apply.
1: That sounds good. That sounds real good. So we're already a few minutes into this podcast, and normally I would have taken you down many memory lane by now. But I was so excited to hear about your current developments. I wanted to get that covered first. But now we got to go back in time, Raul. So you were born and raised somewhere and you had some upbringing, some of which you developed on your own. I'm sure some of which had some influence from either parents or family. So tell me a little bit about your childhood. You mentioned San Diego, which is where you are
2: today. Were mm-hmm. you born and raised there or where was that? Uh, Born in Mexico, raised in San Diego, so we uh, uh, lived here in San Diego. And I think a huge, um, looking backwards and from all the books that I read, I continue to read as many books as I can. I think the positive encouragement that my parents always had uh, to support me has been a huge, huge foundation stone as well as my wife to not, even though I might do crazy things here and there, but uh, she definitely keeps that support as well. So the growing up, you know, I've always wanted to do animation and uh, graphic design. I was pretty good at that at high school. And like, what's crazy, right? We're not talking about like focusing on the tactical side of business, but that's what I was doing back with uh, when I still had my AOL email would focus on trying to get, I think it was DreamWorks, the animation director or a manager to give me tips. How do I get into the industry? That took a twist when I was in community college and I learned about a business here in town over at San Diego State. And it was a sunglass company and they were giving 10% of their proceeds to fund cataract surgery for those in need. The cool part about it is it was built by students just like me. And for me, that was like a bit of a pivotal moment because I understood, wow, students down the street, just like me are creating something that makes a difference in the world. And whatever difference that was. Um, that company went on to be a success. I got to meet the owner. She was amazing. And she mentored me in the beginning um, to show me like how the purpose, the values within a business and an organization. From there, I guess I focused on trying to create something. And I don't know, I've just always been wanting to create. And that's what took off to do good work, productive profits, and the work that we're at today. So it's just taking action every single day.
1: So based on what I'm hearing you say, you're a little bit different than some of my other guests. So a few of my other guests were corporate executives that moved into the entrepreneurial space. I get a sense that your entrepreneurial spirit started early, and you may have never had a corporate job. Is that right?
2: I did actually. When I first started my first company uh, with a buddy of mine in New York, I was working a corporate job with J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, and I was waking up around three, four a.m. every single day to work on the business, go to work, and then hustle, and then start uh, you know getting clients overseas, and it was pretty fun. What did you do at J.P. Morgan Chase? it was relationship banking with, I grew up there pretty much from community college all the way to after post-college. So just banking side. So you said
1: you had an interest in animation. Was that entire um, schooling? Was that in high school and college? Was that all animation or get into marketing or business or what did it evolve into back then?
2: When I first learned, so I was going to school for psychology first. And then oh, wow. when I learned about uh, Solo I where the come the sunglass company that inspired that changed everything. So I applied to a program called the Lavin program at SDSU. Usually for school credits, it gives you like uh, one credit, which is nothing compared to everything else. But that program was my college experience. I got to hang out and learn how to paddleboard with the co-founder of Volcom, being in the same room with Ralph Rubio, be able to go to meetings with like the CEO of Costco. So just being exposed early on showed me that this was a path and that, that path you can pave your own way. And it's, it's not easy, but at least getting exposure early on definitely made it, hey, this is possible. Absolutely.
1: So um, as you move from JP Morgan Chase to your consulting business right now, were there any other interim stops before where you are today? Or did it go from your corporate job to where you are? And then that blossomed into... Something bigger.
2: So it started with uh, consulting on marketing. Uh, So we were trying to start a software company back out of college. So we're trying to start a software company. Didn't turn out to software. The market needed marketing, so we we started creating marketing services. That took off, but then we were starting to create something where we didn't feel comfortable with. It was the quote unquote agency model where we were going to hire people and uh, have them do the work. And for us, I I think it wasn't a good fit. Founder market fit. So then I went to go and support other digital marketing companies to grow. And my biggest experience was helping a company grow from from seven people to 23 in a year. And I think we almost tripled revenue that year. Um, so they're, they're doing well now, multi-million dollar company, but that's where I really took everything that I've learned and all the things that I've applied from the book. And that thing it was pretty fun. It's still growing, but uh, a mentor at the time told me, you got to put this into writing. So that's where the book sprung out.
1: So you talk a bit about scaling businesses. So uh, when you interact with clients, you're going to help them do that, create a way to handle some certainty as part of your processes and whatnot. So what are you finding is common? And I'm not going to call it a mistake because I vowed that I will never create another mistake. I will have many learning experiences but I will never do another mistake. But what are you finding that is fairly common with the business clients that you deal with, with the executives that you coach? Is there something that seems to resonate more frequently than others, or is it all over the lot?
2: That's a a great question. I like to focus on um, smaller business, quote unquote, so they're doing anywhere between one to $10 million in revenue. That's for me a sweet spot, it's fun. Anything that you can do there really creates a, a difference and makes a good impact. I think like a roadmap that we can look at is I always look at the pricing and the positioning of the product and making sure like is the pricing going to support the operations and the expenses because I focus a lot on the service-based businesses and a lot of services are based on labor-intensive you know expenses so we need to make sure that that meshes together and then once we do that we can start positioning like if we're going to double or triple pricing How are we positioning in the marketplace? How can we make sure that we have the right clients coming in? How does operations fulfill? So I think it's always looking at the sales and marketing piece first, taking it to the operations side and understanding how are we going to fulfill on that, making sure that it's efficient, that the team is built correctly for scale. Um, That's one of the initial pieces too, is to find out the organizational, not an org chart, but I call them task units to create kind of like a triad. So that we can scale a team as as needed without scaling costs and being able to be more efficient with that. That plus leadership, I think, is the key. Those the key three aspects that I've seen transcend across clients.
1: You talked a little bit about pricing, and uh, you know, being a business broker, I know that pricing is critical. Usually, the owners want. Maybe, perhaps, what above the market would bear, and you know, buyers will always offer way below what they think. But it just in general, in terms of pricing, there's always a discomfort if you're running a service business. I'm not talking about buying and selling businesses now. I'm talking about mm-hmm. selling your services, and there usually, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, there usually the is hesit- a hesitancy to raise prices. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think what I'm hearing you say that if your services are worth the increased price, you should be able to do that and still be able to scale. Am I hearing that right? And what am that I missing? Correct. Explanation. Help no, us, that's uh, help correct. Us out
2: You're you're right, because you do have to look at the value that you're like, you can't just decide to raise prices three times and then just call it a day. You need to look at the value that you're delivering for the specific target market. I'll give you a good example. Uh, One of my clients, a good friend of mine, he's actually in the podcasting space, but we started focusing on a very specific industry that he has a market knowledge, two relationships, three, he can add a ton of value because he's done it in the past and like changed businesses, changed like that guy's life right? So when we look at that, we attribute what is the value being added? What is the opportunity cost for them not getting this value? And how can we position ourselves where it's one, a no-brainer, two, and make it positions us well in the market, and three, we can still get them the results that we need and scale our team at the same time. So we need to look at all those three different things and also get into the psychology of the market. How do they currently buy? What do they think about pricing? What's their current average expenses? And what's their psychological and demographical attributes. When you think about those things, coming up with a price position, is not easy, but it's kind of like a logical chain of events. You know,
1: it's interesting that you mentioned psychology in your commentary. And when I first started business brokering, you would think, and many would think that is purely mathematical, purely formulaic. So you get a market comp, this one sold at this price, you get the current market, this one's listed at this price, you would think that mathematics, and I'm being very simple when I say this, mathematics Mm -hmm. would drive decision-making. But you mentioned psychology and what I've learned over the past three or four years that emotion plays a big factor in most anything that you do. Buying and selling a business, of course, someone who created a legacy, they don't want to give it up. They do want to give it up because they want to do other things, but they don't want to give it up, so to speak. So there's Probably a great deal of psychology and emotion as a business owner. There's certainly an emotion with a customer because you're playing to that. What else can you describe? I would guess that your psychology background plays a huge part in the success that you've had in consulting and advising.
2: I think yeah, that and also being able to, to relate with people. And like I think you, you wrote, a I think, an article on LinkedIn around... Uh, you're in the people business. No matter what you're doing, you're, it's transference of emotion. And that's a, like that's old Zig Ziglar telling us, like it's that's all selling is. It's you're transferring an emotion. They have to feel that emotion and they make the decision based on the emotion. They make rational statements to to say, hey, I made the right choice. But it's, it's definitely an art and a skill at the same time because you're right. The deal might make 100% sense. It might make really, but there's also that nostalgia. We're human, right? We're not just machines, which is, Part of the game. That's part of like us making sure that we support each other and like being like you mentioned in the business. You're yeah. the business of people. The people
1: you work with, I found, and you could probably agree with this statement and add your own story to it. But I think if you pay more attention to listen, learn, and respond as opposed to telling, that'll go a long way. Too many business owners, and they're very you know the the newer entrepreneurs they want so much to sell their wares and tell them about their services. They don't respond, they don't listen to what the pain points are, they don't listen and learn what they really need to respond accordingly. I think you could probably share a couple of stories with respect to that.
2: Yeah, I think that's really key. Because when you're doing that, it's almost like you're asking them, give me the roadmap, so that I can best assist or help you. And even going back to like the pricing example, it's Having the other person tell you their story and then position it where you can help them be the winner of their story. Not that you are the prize; they are the prize. You're a guide, and I think that's uh, that's, I think Donner Miller talks about that in Story Brand. But it's essentially how can we make our users, our team, our this is including our teams, but also our customers. How can we make them and encourage their customer journey, their journey with us, and how can we support and facilitate that? Because one of the things that I've seen, especially with companies as they keep growing, is that you're in the, again, the people business, but you're motivating and you're just allocating resources appropriately. Once you get to a certain position, you're motivating with a vision, you're motivating with driving goals, making sure that the team knows those goals, the values and attributing back to your company, but as well as you know, transference of emotion. Because when you have that, there's there's some there's a unique, internally, it's called the culture within your business. But then when you're talking to customers, it's your brand story and you're positioning to the marketplace. So there is that human element that will, I don't think we'll ever leave out in business.
1: And unfortunately, too many people ignore that. And that's a critical component. You talked a little bit about your ideal client being one to 10 million. Uh, you talked about the services industry. What else, what is what else is there to your ideal ideal client? What type of services does your consulting best work with or your best practices work with?
2: I think, you know, that's a really good question. I think teams that implement quickly is one of the key um, You know things that I've noticed that can get the most value from the from the work that we do together. Because if it takes four weeks to make an action, then at the speed that I work at, the speed that I work with clients, it's not going to be a good fit. Um, I usually do sprints with clients initially to engage and, and understand. You know their Velocity is what I call it, from idea to implementation, their values, making sure that we can support them. And then from there, we can look at different avenues of, of engagement, either more one on one engagement or either support over an annual term. I'm actually working on a program right now to give pretty much the, the frame the book, the framework is great, but give more tactical, more practical um, video lessons related to the book, but more applicable to businesses where they can plug and play and give support over a year. So I find that you can give the information, you can tell how to, but the support of how do I actually do this today? Or would this scenario happen? How do I apply this specific scenario to my business? Um, I know that entrepreneurs fail to understand that businesses are like 95% the same, just like our human bodies, like the anatomies almost, I think the six or five, I think carbon atoms are, don't quote me on this, identically the same. So the businesses are no different. It's, it's how you fill the business, how you drive the business and the vision and the purpose that makes you extremely unique. Um, so it's being able to apply these principles to your unique use case over time where you can see lasting results.
1: So I hear that you like to kind of move quickly. How do you deal with one of your clients who may be a little resistant to taking that fast action that I think you want to encourage them with and give them the confidence that they can do it? successfully, even though it might be
2: uncomfortable for them. How do you do that? It's all about encouraging. It's all about working with their, what are their thoughts around it and why are they behaving in the way that they're behaving and being on their corner of the ring, as I like to say, being rooting for them, cheering for them, but also not letting them do less than I know that they can do and that they know they can do. Um, so it's almost that encouraging part. That's where the coaching aspect comes in. But it's just honestly down, down to earth, one-on-one, being human to human and saying, hey, let's let's actually do this because you're capable of it. You know you're capable of it. Let's just step into it and, and take action. And showing them first with the team and creating leverage is the key indicator like, oh, wow, it's actually possible. If it's possible, then I can do it.
1: Right. So you've mentioned that the basic principles are primarily the same for you to scale. But is there anything that happened in the past year that either kind of shifted that temporarily or shifted that permanently? Like, is there anything pandemic related? Like, for example, when I do my business, a lot of the first meetings were always in person. Now the first meetings might be virtual. And then you follow up with an in-person meeting. That was a pandemic related change in business brokering. And I think that's going to stay no matter what. But we are definitely going to have to have that face-to-face meeting to get the buyer and the seller comfortable with the process. Anything in what you do that may have either a temporarily shifted and may come back, or maybe has permanently shifted that you need to kind of adapt the basic principles. I don't think you're changing them radically. I mm-hmm. think you might be altering, altering or modifying. Am I getting? Am I saying that kind of correctly? Have you experienced that?
2: That makes a lot of sense. Um, thankfully, I was been remote since 2016, so this is um, you know. So i'm used to this but like i do have friends who've had a shift or pivot their business or even shut down previous business and start new ones because like they were in the event industry and that took a hit um, i also from the, some of the marketing companies that i help, they service multiple clients in multiple industries we saw different impacts uh from the pandemic with real estate for i think for renting as well as for event-based stuff so there there is that shift that we have to do i, I find it now we're almost seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and people are having cabin fever. They want to get back out there. Um, I think one of the biggest things that like, thankfully with the podcast too, like you do your podcast, I do my podcast. That's a huge networking tool and leveraging that and being able to provide value to the audience at the same time. So there's there's that component where you don't have to stop networking. You may not go to events as much as you used to. You may not drive to your office, but you can still practice the same principles, just doing it more digitally, but never forgetting the human element about it as well. I don't have a clear story of a loss um, in regards to that, but I, I do know of friends and other businesses here in town that have experienced that, but they're also pivoting and shifting and that'd be an amazing story to talk about like how their mindset was affected when this happened and how they transitioned and took action to create something new and now be thriving within the same timeframe. I think that's a, that endurance, that persistence is something that is found in very strong entrepreneurs, but I know that that's something very unique.
1: Yeah. And that being able to quickly respond. So it goes back to one of my mantras, you got to listen, learn and leverage or listen, learn and leverage and respond. But You have to stay in tune with what's going on around you. I mean, your principle, as I hear it, is to create certainty around something that's always changing. So if you come back to that, I think that that's how you can
2: scale. Is that right? That's true. And I love that because you're you're listening, you're paying attention, you're making the right decisions. Because what is strategy besides just making the right decisions based on the right data? And listening is a form of acquiring that data to make the next best action or foresee the next best three to five actions.
1: Absolutely. Well, Raul, unfortunately, we're nearing the end of our time. We talked about a lot. Is there anything that we may have missed that you want the audience to take away that may not have been covered with any of my questions today?
2: No, I think you asked a really good f- holistic approach. Uh, we did touch about it in the beginning in regards to creating certainty. The matrix or the, the spreadsheet that I use with clients uh, is actually available online at dogoodwork.io forward slash essentials, essentials with an S plural. And you'll be able to get that with the training and be able to kind of look at your business from a 30,000 foot view and see which actions attribute to the key performance indicators that I can control and how can I create operational excellence through those habits and those actions. It's all there. It's a simple sheet, a soup, a simple matrix that we use, and it can make a difference in your business.
0: Well,
1: that sounds essential. Uh, Having a template to work with, being able to write it down, being able to have it visible every day in front of you, that's probably critical to uh, building success and building scale, like you said. So where do we go find out more information? You gave us a little bit regarding your uh, do-good work. How else can we find more about Raul?
2: Uh, the best place is the website, goodowork.io. You You'll be able to check out the podcast, uh, connect with me personally, and be able to read uh, any of the content that we produce. That's great. Thank you so much, Raul, for your time.
1: Thank you, audience, for listening. Follow up with Raul if there's anything else that you got out of this podcast that you think will help you out. I'm sure he will also do the same if you give him a call or check him out online. So thanks again, Raul. This was great. I appreciate your sharing your insights. Thank
0: you, Steve. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.